0: Thanks man. We've been looking over the last month at the good Samaritan we've been talking about how Jesus had uh, mentioned a lot how we should uh, should treat one another and the story of the good Samaritan was one of the examples of his teaching uh, in this area. It's one of his uh, best-known stories, and we've been um, looking at it from different perspectives. And uh, we've seen that the love that uh, was showed on that, uh, on that road <coughs> to the uh, person who had been beaten up by the, uh, by the Samaritan, not beaten up by the Samaritan, but the good that had been shown by the Samaritan, get the grammar right, uh, to the person who had been beaten up, uh, involved meeting needs. It involved uh, hospitality and it involved a sense of belonging and then we expanded that a bit last week and looked at uh, the areas of forgiveness and conflict management and advocacy and so we've suggested these six areas are good places to start as far as the expression of good neighbourliness is concerned. Meeting needs, hospitality, belonging, creating a a space for belonging and a sense of belonging, forgiveness, managing conflict really well and walking with somebody who's doing a tough advocacy. Uh, I want to move on from that area this week as we wind up the series and look at neighbourliness and the alleviation of poverty. If the definition of poverty is, as the dictionary states, uh, the condition of having little or no money, goods or means of support, uh, then the Good Samaritan is, uh, or the Good Neighbour as we've been calling it, is a story about poverty and its alleviation or at least the overcoming of the consequences of the poverty uh, that this, uh, this man was experiencing at the time. Uh, the story, when it's looked at from that light, it's a story that's a reminder uh, that poverty can be circumstantial. Uh, he, uh, he might have uh, been fine before he was beaten up, but he wasn't fine after he was beaten up. And, uh, and it can be circumstantial but real nevertheless. And also there's a sense of hopelessness. About poverty, and all of that is tied up in the story of the good neighbour. And in Luke chapter 10, verse 30, it says Robbers attacked him and grabbed everything he had, they beat him up and ran off, leaving him for dead. A pretty good description of somebody who is experiencing a poverty of opportunities, a poverty of, uh, of, of resources to do anything about his condition. So let's have a think this morning then about neighbourliness, being a good neighbour and what that will do as far as poverty uh, in our world is concerned. And let me set the scene for you, probably are setting the scene uh, that you only know so well. But let me, let me do that. First of all, internationally and then nationally and then locally. Uh, in the year 2000, uh, the 192 member nations of the United Nations signed up to what became known as the Millennium Development Goals. And the first one of those uh, development goals was that we would halve the number of people in the world living in extreme poverty. And extreme poverty was defined as living on less, what started out at a dollar a day, but it's, it's uh, gone up, it's a dollar 25 a day. And so extreme poverty is considered to be that line of $1.25 a day. Anybody living below that, at that line or below it, was considered to be in extreme poverty. And the development goal was to halve the number by 2015. So the 192 member nations, of which Australia is a part, in the year 2000 signed up a commitment that we would do that. In the year 2000, the numbers of people living at that level were estimated at over 1.5 billion in the world. Uh, with nearly half of them living in our region, in the Asia-Pacific. So the the other nearly half is in uh, sub-Sahara Africa, Um, but uh, but well over 40% living in Asia-Pacific. It was estimated that over 20% of the world's population lived at this level, under $1.25. And by the way, 80% are estimated at living on less than $10 a day. It's a huge proportion, isn't it? The development goal of halving the number of people living in extreme poverty by 2015 is within reach. It's on, on a worldwide scale. In other words, where the world is doing fairly well if you take just the numbers into account on a worldwide basis. But this is mostly due to poverty in China being radically addressed. Uh, The other regions in the world are not doing as well and in fact are probably falling behind. And so it's been said, if we're going to reach uh, this goal by 2015, and we're well and truly running out of time now, that the commitment of wealthy countries must be maintained. If you look at the World Vision website, it says this. Efforts to meet the Millennium Development Goals are being seriously affected by the global food crisis and the global financial slowdown. Uh, Climate change is also having a major negative impact on poor communities. The website continues... Even in the face of these new challenges, the world can still achieve the goals, but in the words of UN Secretary General Ban Ki-moon, it will require an unswerving collective long-term effort. And World Vision says key to this will be for wealthy nations to live up to the commitments they have made, namely increasing overseas aid, creating a more open trading system and relieving the debts of poor countries. And Australia is not doing too well. In those areas, so in, in light of what i 've just described on an international scale as poverty as far as poverty is concerned, let me remind you of two quotes that I started this series with a month ago. The first was from Franklin D. Roosevelt, President of the United States, in his first address as u s president in one thousand nine hundred and thirty three said this: "In the field of world policy, I would dedicate this nation." To the policy of the good neighbour, the neighbour who resolutely respects himself and because he does so respects the rights of others, the neighbour who respects his obligations and respects the sanctity of his agreements in and with a world of neighbours. And then in 1945, in the preamble of the Charter of the United Nations, it says this. We, the peoples of the United Nations, express determination to practice tolerance and live together in peace with one another as good neighbours. It seems to me that the idea of being internationally good neighbours and especially relevant for us as a very wealthy nation uh, in a region where nearly half of the world's people uh, uh, who, who live at less than twenty-five a day actually live uh, we have a huge responsibility internationally uh, to be good neighbours. I'll allow that just simply to sit with you. Uh, secondly, in setting the scene, what, what about here? What about in Australia? Okay, We are one of the wealthiest nations. There are very few people who try to live on less than $1. twenty-five a, uh, a day in Australia. Uh, does that mean, therefore, that we don't have poverty in this country? Well... In developed and wealthy countries like Australia, poverty uh, needs to be measured differently, uh, for the notion of poverty is actually a relative one rather than an absolute one. A poverty is a relative concept used to describe the people in a society that cannot participate in the activities that most people take for granted. That's a pretty good definition when we're trying to understand poverty in our own country and in a minute poverty in our own city, in our own uh, area. (coughs) It's, uh, It's used to describe the people in a society that cannot participate in the activities that most people take for granted. While many Australians juggle payments of bills, people living in poverty have to make difficult choices such as skipping a meal to pay for a child's textbooks or perhaps in the light of the budget it might be in the future skipping a meal uh, or the choice between skipping, having a meal or taking a child to a doctor. Uh, one common way of measuring poverty in wealthy countries like Australia is to set the poverty line at 50% of the average wage. and So whatever the average wage is, 50% of that is considered to be uh, the poverty, po- poverty line. There are different ways of measuring poverty and of course poverty is much more than just money as well but this is just trying to set a bit of a scene for you into which the story of the Good Samaritan can be told in this setting. Uh, so, so 50% of the average wage and that's considered to be the poverty line and using that measure... Uh, there are 2.8 million people or 14.3% of Australia's population living below the poverty line in this country and this number has actually been increasing over the past six years. Of those those millions of people, 600,000 of those are children or if you like 17.3% of the children in our country are living in families uh, that are considered to be below the poverty line. And of course most at risk of poverty in this country are certain people groups such as indigenous families, asylum seekers and refugees and also people who are living on fixed incomes like single parent income and people whose primary source of income is from other social security payments. That's the national scene. What about right here? Now, some of you don't live in the city of Banyul, but this church is in the city of Banyul, so what about right here? I don't know if you know of the CIFA index. The CIFA index is an index of social disadvantage, and people get scores on the CIFA index. And each of the local uh, municipalities in Victoria are measured on this CIFA index. And the higher score on the CIFA index means that you're better off. The lowest score on the CFA index is um, showing that there's a fair bit of disadvantage. The city of Manuel ranks fairly well in all of the um, cities, uh, the, uh, the, the the 31 I think of municipalities uh, in Victoria. Uh, you're in the top 13 of all of those municipalities. Uh, so you're not right at the top, but you're in in the um, in the top third, if if you like. But when areas within Banul are measured, uh, there's actually um, cause for great concern. Uh, for instance, uh, West Heidelberg, which is a part of the city of Banyuel, uh, has a score of 830, which is actually a ranking that causes that area, West Heidelberg, uh, to be lower than the city of Greater Daninong, which is the lowest of the 31 municipalities. And so you have an area within uh, the city of Banyul that is uh, very, very low on the CIFAR index, meaning that there is a high level of disadvantage. And across the city of Banyul, there's an estimated one in ten secondary school students who are at risk of homelessness. So 10% of the high school students in in this city, in the city of Banyul, even though in number 13 on the CIFA index... Uh, there's one in ten who are at risk of homelessness. So you can see that poverty uh, is a local problem. It's not not just a problem uh, overseas. It's not just a problem in Greater Dandenong, (laughs) but it's a problem right here uh, where your local church exists. And so let me remind you of another quote that I, um, I, I gave to you in the first of this series and it was from um, an Australian Psychological Association paper on breaking the cycle of disadvantage, and it said this, there's a growing awareness that disadvantage can be mitigated and in turn overcome by addressing social exclusion and strengthening communities. I, I believe that's part of the calling of the church in, in a community, uh, to, um, uh, to address social exclusion, that's the idea of a place to belong, inclusiveness, um, and, and strengthening communities surely that's our role as Christians in a community, as a church and it says for example in some of Australia's most economically and socially disadvantaged suburbs and that would include West Heidelberg a resident sense of community has mediated the lack of consequences of crime child abuse and poor physical and mental health in other words you can overcome some of the consequences of those social problems uh, through being good neighbours that's basically what it's saying this is what good neighbourliness can do in a community. So I've tried to set a scene uh, for you. It, um, what I've just presented to you in a couple of minutes took many hours of research actually and uh, <laughs> it's like I often feel very sorry for cooks when they spend so much time making this beautiful meal and it only takes a few minutes to eat it. But, um, but that, that's, that's just presented to you as, as an overview of setting the scene of poverty uh, that, that we need to be concerned about. And so the the question obviously for us then is, well, what does the Bible say about this? What does the Bible say about poverty? Well, it says plenty. In fact, uh, this Bible that I use, the Poverty and Justice Bible, uh, put out by Bible Society Australia and uh, World Vision as a joint effort a few years ago, um, this uh, this Bible has a lot of orange verses, not marked by me, but marked in the uh, in the printing of the Bible, and uh, it's got over two thousand passages marked right across right across the uh, the, the scriptures, and uh, these verses that are highlighted are passages that deal with poverty and justice, and the uh, the idea came uh, from Jim Wallace, the American Jim Wallace, not the Australian Jim Wallace, of Sojourner's fame. Uh, when, uh, when he felt uh, that the evangelical church uh, doesn't deal very well with poverty and justice issues. It might address a lot of other issues, but not poverty and justice issues. So he went through and he cut out of his Bible all of the, uh, all of the verses that related uh, to poverty and justice, and it left a whole lot of holes. In it, And World Vision suggested that maybe a better idea than cutting them out would be to actually highlight them. <laughs> and, um, and that's, that's where um, this Bible came from, the, the highlighting of the poverty and justice uh, passages, over 2,000 of them. Uh, it's a major concern to God. That, that's basically what we're talking about. Uh, the whole concept of poverty and the injustice that brings about poverty and that, that maintains people in poverty or keeps people in poverty is a major concern of God's and we we learn from scripture uh, one of the themes that we see right across is that poverty uh, God takes personally God takes it personally as you did it to the least of these my brethren you did it to me Uh, as, as you didn't do it as you didn't care for these people you didn't care for me so there's no doubt about it, and that's only one passage where Jesus is speaking about it, right across the th- a theme across these 2,000 passages, is that God takes this personally. He's for real about this. Another theme that runs across all those passages is that poverty is, is, is not just about uh, not having enough money, of course, that, it includes that but across scripture poverty is seen much more holistically or comprehensively than that it's actually seen as um, a poverty of resources and opportunities and abilities for, for people to be able to make choices to live the shalom that God wants them to live in other words to, to, to live in well-being God's call uh, for communities, for churches uh, is to shalom. It's to well-being, and uh, when people are not able to make choices for that, uh, that's considered to be uh, something that God is very concerned about, and uh, and 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 that's what poverty is seen. That's a theme running across Scripture. I want to share just a couple of passages with you that highlight some of these concerns, and I want to be able to to take the teachings of these and apply them uh, to. Uh, to the international scene and the national scene and, and your local scene here in Banyuel or wherever you live and work and spend your time. The first passage is, uh, is Deuteronomy 15. In Deuteronomy, God is uh, repeating so many, many, in many ways what he already said in Leviticus. Um, but there's been a long time between the events of Leviticus and the events of Deuteronomy. And, uh, and they've been wandering around in, in the desert, in the wilderness for 40 years and they're about to be urbanised. They're about to head into the land of Canaan where there's already big cities and they're about to take on an urbanised profile. And so God is preparing them for urbanisation. God is preparing them to move into the city and to become a part of that, to move from being nomadic to being city people. And he lays down the ideal here in Deuteronomy 15 verses 4 to 5. I'm reading from the CEV. It says, however, there need be no poor people among you, for in the land the Lord your giving, the, the land the Lord your God is giving you to possess as your inheritance, He will richly bless you, if you only fully obey the Lord your God, and are careful to follow all these commands that I am giving you today. In other words, as you go into the cities, there's enough there for everybody to have enough. <laughs> there's, these, are, these are cities. This is a land flowing with milk and honey the resources are incredible especially compared to what you've just been going through in the last 40 years you're going into some really rich lands and there's enough there for everybody if you just obey me so there's no need for any poverty he says no need for any poverty no need for anybody to be poor if you just obey the things that I'm telling you now this is in the context of the year of Jubilee this is in the context of of the, uh, the forgiveness of debts the, the giving freely to people and the forgiving of the debts and it's in the context of a lot of other social laws that God is saying you obey these and there'll be fairness, there'll be equality there'll be justice in the cities and there'll be no need for poor people uh, in, in those cities but then a little bit down in that passage in verses 10 and 11 there's a reality check and God says uh, through, uh, through Moses, there will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-handed toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land. I, I, I regard this as a really tragic passage because <laughs> at, at first God is saying, you know what, look what I'm giving you. I'm giving you the opportunity for there to be no poverty. <laughs> in the cities that I'm leading you into, I'm giving you the opportunity if you just obey what I'm telling you, if you just live justly, I'm giving you the opportunity for there to be no poverty. But then there's a reality check, basically saying, but I know how you live. And he says there will always be poor people among you. There will always be poor people among you. And so I command you uh, to be open-handed, to be generous toward your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in your land so how are we to act in the light of the reality and the ideal well in the verses between those two passages in verses 7 to 10 it says this if anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns of the land the Lord your God has given you do not be hard hearted or tight fisted toward them rather be open handed and freely lend them whatever they need be careful not to harbour this wicked thought. The seventh year, the year for cancelling debts is near, so that you do not, do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. This is in the context of the Jubilee year, the seventh year, a year of forgiving debts. And he's saying whatever you do, in, in, in year six don't think, oh I'm not going to loan anything to anybody this year because the seventh year is coming. Yeah? Don't be slackers like that. You give freely to people you be open-handed, open-hearted, generous with people. Um, he, he says, if, if you hold back, they may then appeal to the Lord against you and you'll be found guilty of sin. See what I mean about God taking it personally? God's fair income about this stuff. You'll be found guilty of sin. Give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart and then, because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. So we can see in in these passages, in this passage here in Deuteronomy, the alleviation of poverty starts with us having the right attitudes of self-sacrifice and of being good neighbours. These laws are given in this passage and also back in Leviticus are known as the Jubilee Laws. And they're basically about the equalising of wealth and opportunity and advantage through self-sacrifice they're in the in in the context of economic and employment principles that are based on systemic justice. That's what these laws are all about. Um, you may have may have heard of Ash Barker, Ash and Angie Barker, um, who uh, actually started, you know, urban neighbourhoods of hope in uh, in Springvale, and then went to Dandenong and. Ash and Angie, for the last uh, 12 years, I think it is, have been living in um, uh, Khlong which is a, um, uh, a a slum in uh, in Bangkok, and um, they've uh, they've just recently resigned as leaders of UNO and are back here in Australia at the moment. And they're, um, we have the privilege of them being on uh, on with us for five months at Urban Seed. Um, Ash being a, a scholar in residence. For us, if you want to book him up for anything, get in touch with me, and um, he'd be uh, more than happy to come out and have a chat. Um, but uh, uh, and then they're going to the UK to uh, to work in uh, some of the um, poverty ridden areas in um, Birmingham. Um, but Ashes has written a few books. One of his books is called "Making Poverty Personal," and uh, and in that book he suggests that there are three major teachings in the Jubilee laws that are at the heart of the issues of poverty and injustice today. He says, uh, number one, they assume poverty is a constant battle in a fallen world. You see, that's that that idea that there's no need for any poverty among you, but there'll always be poor people among you. And so they assume that poverty is a constant battle in a fallen world. Um, Number two, they grapple with sustainable environmental and production issues. They look at, at, at the system The laws that are here, they look at the system and how can we be better as God's people uh, systemically to set up ways uh, that will look after poor people rather than push them further into their poverty. And thirdly, they battle for for secure housing and secure labour. Uh, The issues haven't changed, folks, (laughs) Uh, from the days of Moses to the days of today. Uh, These are the issues that are so relevant as far as poverty is concerned. Secure housing and secure employment, secure labour. That's what Ash Barker draws out. The second passage I want to relate to is that, uh, or a couple of passages actually in Acts, because there have been times when these principles have been lived, principles for alleviation of poverty being followed and uh, some absolutely wonderful results. You know the passages oh oh so well, Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47 where it describes the life of the primitive church of the first church if you like after Pentecost and uh, part of that verses 44 and 45 in Acts chapter 2 it says all the believers were together and had everything in common there's no greater equalisation than that they had everything in common and they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need And so the the, the laws, the Jubilee laws that come up in Deuteronomy and in Leviticus are being loved, well they're being loved, but they're being lived as well um, by these first disciples of Jesus as they gather together into a community of faith there in Jerusalem with all hell breaking loose around them. Here they are committed to one another and day by day uh, there are people being added to their numbers, so it's not just a little clicky group of an exclusive mob that uh, 500 people who saw the resurrected Jesus, but they're starting to, uh, to 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 grow bigger and bigger and bigger. And these people are committed to each other and following following these these laws of equalization of wealth. And they are uh, selling property and possessions to anyone who had need. And so, over in Acts chapter four verses 32 to 35 it says all the believers were one in heart and mind no one claimed that any of their possessions was their own but they shared everything they had with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus and God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them ring a bell Deuteronomy 15 there is no need for there to be any poor people among you, if you will just obey what I'm telling you to do. <laughs> and here in the first church in Jerusalem, it says that there were no needy persons among them. That gives me goosebumps. <laughs> Poverty was being dealt with in the midst of persecution, in the midst of 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 of, of, of uh, uh, being forced to be secret and locked away in closed rooms. Poverty was being dealt with. <laughs> It was being alleviated in a community of faith. There were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them and bought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Then we're told the story of Barnabas. Yeah, but then we're told the story of Ananias and Sapphira in chapter 5. Now a man named Ananias together with his wife Sapphira also sold a piece of property and in the context of alleviating poverty in a community of faith you can see this was why, why this was so disgusting. They sold a piece of property with his wife's full knowledge he kept back part of the money for himself brought the rest and put it at the apostles feet and he lied about it. He said this is what I got, it's all for you. So even in the midst of this community of faith that was dealing with the issue of poverty. Along the lines of the laws that God had set out so much earlier through Moses, there were those who were choosing to live selfishly rather than self-sacrificially. So the reality check once again. But nevertheless, there was a community of faith that was dealing with the issue of poverty. And there have been many examples since then. So the question in closing this series with today, how do we live as good neighbours in the light of international poverty and national poverty and local poverty? Number one thing, we've got to see it as God sees it. We've got to see it as God sees it. We've got to get into here, not necessarily this one with orange colouring, but into the word and understand poverty from God's perspective. He takes it personally and he takes it seriously. Over 2,000 passages across the Bible that deal with the issues. I believe that we will become passionate about the alleviation of poverty when we see it as God sees it and hate the injustices and the abuses of power that lead to poverty as much as he does. Ash Barker says, Poverty by nature mars the image of God in people and makes it impossible to live as God intends. But in the words also of Ash Barker in the title of his book we need to make it personal. It can't be something that's over there or out there. We need to make it personal. I've said a number of times God takes it personally and as God's people we need to take it personally. Shane Claiborne who works in these areas says I am convinced that the tragedy in the church is not that rich folks don't care about poor folks, but that rich folks don't know poor folks. Amid all the campaigns and issues and slogans and political agendas, perhaps the deepest hunger in the world is make poverty personal. Mother Teresa said it's very fashionable to talk about the poor. Unfortunately, it's not as fashionable to talk to the poor. There's a whole lot of ways to get involved. Wish we had time to talk through it and discuss a, a, around it and have a forum on it. A whole lot of ways we can get involved campaigning and letter writing and visiting government representatives and civil disobedience and membership in a political party and using the social media, uh, prayerfulness, uh, getting a book club together to study Ash Barker's book. It's a series of Bible studies basically on some key passages. Fantastic book. I recommend it to you. Um, It's available for download on Kindle. Just to show that I'm not getting uh, any money out of this, (laughs) you can get it on Kindle and uh, and study it. But you know what? Those are all important ways and many other ways to deal with it. But it all starts with being a good neighbour. It starts with being a good neighbour whenever, wherever, and with whosoever we have opportunity. Because poverty, as a personal problem, is right here on our doorstep. Right here in Banyul, right here in Australia, and indeed around the world. When Mother Teresa was asked how she managed to pick up 50,000 people from the streets of Calcutta, she said, I start with one. I start with one. Let's have a few moments of silence as we consider these things and what God is saying to us personally and as a church. And then I'll close us in prayer. Father God, we come before you this morning uh, recognizing that you do take uh, poverty uh, personally and that it deeply concerns you. Uh, Please help us as your people uh, to be just as deeply concerned about the fact that there are people uh, right in our own midst uh, who um, are doing it tough. Please help us to, to look out um, within this community of faith and to look out within our own neighbourhoods where we live and our, our workplaces and as we're just going about our everyday business. Please help us to be mindful uh, to look out for people who are doing it tough. I think especially of uh, the kids who are caught up in um, sometimes generations of Of poverty and unemployment and homelessness. And I pray, O God, that you would help us to be very much aware of what's going on and supportive of those who are um, are working in these areas. I I think of um, in this area of Banyul, of um, youth workers and school workers who are working with um, these at risk teenagers in the schools in Banyul. And I pray for them. I pray that you would help them to know what to do and where the resources lie. And I pray for the uh, the, the people in, in West Heidelberg who are doing it tough and, and living um, in, uh, in, in a state of disadvantage. And I pray for those who are walking with them and working amongst them that... You would empower them and give them the wisdom and the resources to do what needs to be done. And as a community of faith I I pray uh, for, for this church, for Monty as it seeks to live out your goodness and your grace in this area. And I pray that great things will continue to happen and that Banuel will be impacted by your love and your grace by a bunch of good neighbours.